A million monkeys at a million typewriters for a million years are bound to produce Shakespeare. On Twitter, 316 million users are posting 500 million tweets a day. One or two of those users are bound to come up with the same tweet at some point, right? I'm Daniel Dennis-Jones, and on today's Radio Berkman, we're going to talk about whether you can copyright a tweet. XKCD's Randall Monroe once calculated the number of possible tweets that could exist. In any possible permutation of 140 or fewer characters per tweet, it would be somewhere around 10 to the power of 800. Maybe more if you include emoticons, but either way, that's effectively infinite as far as human beings are concerned. Even if you limited it to the possible meaningful English tweets that could exist, it would take something like undecillion years, that's 10 followed by 36 zeros, for someone to read all of them. But some Twitter users aren't interested in exploring the realms of the infinite. It's the opposite. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of Twitter accounts almost entirely reliant on plagiarizing jokes on Twitter. Some of these plagiarizing accounts have millions of followers and are actually making money on social media. This past week, some in the media noticed that Twitter started enforcing a takedown policy for unoriginal tweets. Users who notice their tweets being copied word for word without credit can ask for them to be taken down. Freelance comedy writer Olga Lexell tries out new material on her Twitter account and noticed something strange happening with one particular tweet of hers. Saw someone spill their high-end juice cleanse all over the sidewalk, and now I know God is on my side, which was the tweet that came out. I sat down with Andy Sellers of the Harvard Law School Cyber Law Clinic so he could explain what happened. Which is like a, a, a pithy, short, 140-character joke that you could definitely see get retweeted like crazy. The problem was that it wasn't retweeted. Instead, a number of accounts simply copied and pasted the joke and posted them as their own tweets. Lexell responded by filing a takedown notice under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. The, the, the fact that Twitter is enforcing the DMCA is not new. They've been doing that forever, and usually what they're faced with is people linking to other pages hosting infringing content. It is rare to see them go after uh, a takedown because one person claims a tweet is uh, infringing on their other tweet. Comedians on Twitter are cheering this move, but others are asking, wait a second, can you even copyright a tweet? Turns out the answer, as always, is it's complicated. It's interesting because the in the actual DMCA notice itself, which is up in the Chilling Effects database, you can read her argument, uh, Olga Lexell's argument for why it was infringing. And, and what she actually said there is that that it was not that she had copied, is that they were copied but not given credit, mm -hmm. which is interesting because attribution is not a right under copyright. So it would have actually infringed either way if it is infringing. Right. But it's, it was the lack of credit that irritated her. And it highlights a, a problem or something that needs to be addressed in, in Twitter's terms of service. Mm -hmm. Because Twitter's terms of service indisputably say that when you submit something to Twitter as a Twitter user, you are giving Twitter a license to reproduce that, distribute that, to put it in some of their other materials, to use it with their other products and services that Twitter operates. You give a pretty broad grant to Twitter. It's not so clear, at least in their terms of service, what Twitter then licenses back to their users. Now, there's definite norms, right? There's the retweet button. There's the older school RT username quote mm -hmm. thing. Uh, now, with the metadata of Twitter, you can actually have a tweet appear in line with another tweet. So there's another potential evolving norm there. But there's not, it's not clear, and Twitter doesn't state as a rule when you can 
quote someone's tweet, when you can copy someone's tweet, in what formats and at what times. Well, let me clarify, because yeah. um, you, you, you said the terms of service uh, grants Twitter basically like an unlimited license to use the tweet, yep. but the copyright still Owned resides by with Olga. the user. Yep, yep. And so if you upload. were... But if you were to just to copy the sentence and put it up on Facebook or Blogger or something like that, much less likely that Twitter would actually grant you permission based on Olga's grant of permission to them to do whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. So like if I printed this on a T-shirt and started selling it, you know, nothing about what Twitter grants would change that. It's not as if Olga waived her rights to this when when she put it up there. It's uh, that she gave she gave Twitter the ability to license these rights as well. Right. Okay. Non exclusive okay. license. I see. So, that, yeah. so maybe that extends to other Twitter users without Twitter attribution. Cert- yeah, Twitter certainly has the legal power sure. to do that, but it's just not clear. They they have a very clear policy when it comes to um, things like broadcast media. So when broadcast media want to quote tweets uh, on television. Uh, there's a way for them to do that. It's actually a fairly open set of rules. You have to include the the Twitter username, the Twitter person name, the Twitter logo has to be present, and there's certain other things about format and presentation of the tweet itself. But Twitter doesn't do the same thing for their users. And part of that might be a concern about them not wanting to interfere with evolving norms online. So, you know, the RT thing, I think, came pretty organically from the Twitter community. Mm-hmm as did the MT modified tweet uh, idea. Uh, And so part of it may be that Twitter doesn't want to set, doesn't want to calcify rules that are still evolving in the community or doesn't want to deter certain people from doing certain things or saying certain things. At the same time, it'd be nice for them to clarify what I can do with another person's tweet. Do I have to use the retweet button? Is it okay if I do the RT and then give their username? What about the MT thing? Is that okay? Is that not okay? You know, clarifying those rules could remove the copyright concern, at least amongst Twitter users. Right. So we've covered some of the like the licensing issues and some of the norms issues, but it, the question arises, is, is, this, is this stuff copyrightable at all? I mean, if I were to go in and just write uh, the lyrics to Happy Birthday, the Happy Birthday song, which is a whole other can of worms. <laughs> yeah, that, sure, we can talk about a that copyright too. <laughs> song, song or not. But uh, is that is that something that I own the copyright to? Is it something that the writers of the song could sue me for? Well, there's a great question right now about the the Happy Birthday example itself as to whether or not this is in the public domain. But I'll just say you just wrote 140 characters, like like the like the Olga Lexell joke. Yeah, the question is originality. That's the test in copyright. And originality has two ingredients to it. One is that it owes its origin to you. So it's it's actually yours as opposed to someone else's. And then the second piece is that it has to have within it some, what the courts call a modicum of creativity. Some sort of creativity in the selection and arrangement it doesn't have to be very much. But if there is no selection or arrangement other than the basic ways you might structure things like an alphabetical list, actually lists of ingredients are, are usually excluded under this rule. Things like that where there's really only one way to say it or there's, or there's only a few ways to say this particular idea. Uh, we don't grant copyright over those things. We don't do it because we don't want to copyright to monopolize the idea itself. So uh, when it comes to jokes and, and quick phrases like that, traditionally the Copyright Office has not registered those those types of things. There's actually they've, they've refused to register. They've refused them? registration in those cases. If I wrote a fortune cookie or a knock knock joke and try to drag it into the copyright office, they would yeah. turn me away. Yeah, Probably. fortune cookie, knock knock joke, um, short 
phrases, slangs, catchphrases, things like that, not going to be protectable under copyright. Now, potentially protectable under trademark law. Trademark law is a little different, and we often protect words, short phrases, slogans, but only when they're used to identify the origin of a good or service, and only as against claims about, you know, you're falsely suggesting an endorsement from my good or service by using my name. It's not like copyright where any reproduction of that can implicate the law. There's only only reproductions that cause confusion can can implicate trademark law. So how did we get to a place where a Twitter comedian could uh, not only, in this case of, of the, the tweeter of this joke, try to get Twitter to take down other tweets that copy her tweet, but we also have a lawsuit right now between a yeah. comedian and the Conan O'Brien show. Yeah, Alex Caseberg sued uh, the Conan O'Brien show for a series of jokes. He has a... Um, He's a blog spot blog where he will just kind of put like kind of one liners jokes, the sort of zingers that you see here in, in Conan and in the Daily Show and Jimmy Kimmel, you know, these sorts of these sort of off the cuff one liner jokes. The kind of monologue. Yeah, like it feels like material in a monologue. You know, I, I think of these as slightly different things with the with the case of the the Twitter DMCA takedowns. That's an example of where copyright doctrine, which says, well, we're not going to say that all of these are out or all of these are in we're going to say we're going to look for originality and if it's long enough it probably has enough creativity in it that we're actually going to protect it under copyright but when it comes to enforcement of copyright online we are not so amorphous not so loose not so uh, evolving we we have some pretty strict rules when it comes to the dmca we say if you want this safe harbor when someone sends you a well-formed notice you have to take the content down Um, if you don't take the content down uh, you will lose your safe harbor. Doesn't necessarily mean you'll be liable for infringement. That's a different test. But your sure your sure shot won't be in trouble. Defense goes away. And so what you find with enforcement online is that the platforms, the, the online intermediaries, they don't play around with this stuff. They just take it down. Because why would they? They're going to lose the their immunity from suit. And even if they're ultimately successful in the suit, that could be a very expensive process for them to go through. And right now, these companies have so many resources that they've become a bit of a target for copyright lawsuits because the chances of actually getting some money at the end of the day are a lot higher than going after the individual user. So you do have occasional cases where, um, you know, Google's done this a few times, where they have refused to honor a DMCA request. What they are doing in those circumstances is waiving their safe harbor. And they're making the calculation that it's worth it. You know, in amongst our community, we always kind of applaud whenever they do that. Like they're standing up for defending speech. They're seeing an obviously bogus thing. They're saying that's obviously bogus. I have no idea if like the average user cares about these particular fights. So like when uh, Google refused to take down a NASCAR, a video of a NASCAR event taken by a fan after NASCAR uh, claimed that they own the rights in the video, which is almost certainly not true. Um, you know, Google's like, no, we're not going to take it down. Now, the video depicted a crash, which is probably why NASCAR wanted it taken down, because it was a crash where parts of vehicles flew into the stands. And sure. so it was like not something NASCAR wanted associated with them. Right. And you can see the the Google perspective on, on this is that this is turned from a an entertainment event to a news event. Yeah, this is this is this is citizen journalism footage of a newsworthy event that everyone wants to talk about today. Um, so we're not going to say, no, we're not going to honor that request, NASCAR. But behind the scenes, there was all sorts of legal risk analysis where they said, okay, we can absorb the cost of a lawsuit if NASCAR yeah. comes after us here. Yeah, the calculus is there's there's X percent chance they might sue us for copyright infringement. 
there's, you know, Y percent chance that they would actually succeed or they'd, you know, survive long enough that they'd go into discovery um, versus here's the goodwill we think we'll get by saying like, hey, we, we saw an obviously bogus thing and we did the right thing to protect our users. So what what ultimately is the right thing to do here? Should we change? I mean, there's lots of complaints about the DMCA. It was it was made nearly 20 years ago. Yeah. Do we reform our laws around this or do we continue to let kind of like norms and practices? I think the best thing to do is within a platform, within Twitter, within Facebook, uh, I think it's incumbent upon these platforms to explain to their users what they can do with each other's content clearly. And here I feel like that would be, you know, that could, that they could craft a rule there that still says what the people did with um, Olga Lexel's tweet was uh, against their rules, you know, and, and said that we don't give you permission to do what you did there. You know, what they did is they basically, they didn't retweet her, they didn't give her credit for it, they just copy pasted the joke. And so there you could set rules within the community and say, that's not acceptable, that's not okay. And that's a reflection of how comedy has been policed in the intellectual property realm for quite some time. So uh, two professors, Dotan Oliar and Chris Sprigman, did this great law review article a few years ago looking at IP enforcement norms in comedy. And the problems that we've been talking about here are problems that are endemic to all stand-up routines, right? It's um, often a single joke. The market value for that is so small, you never really want to sue for that. It can be really expensive. There's an open question as to whether or not you actually own anything here at all because short jokes may not have enough to them to exercise the right degree of originality and creativity for copyright purposes. Um, whereas in uh, comedy, there's these really strong norms about joke ownership and a, a really strong prohibition against joke appropriation that goes far beyond what copyright would actually protect. So the idea of a joke uh, is, is protected in uh, the norms of comedy in a way it would never be protected in copyright law. And what worked in the, in the comedy world was basically the, the, the comedians policing each other. And so in some ways you might be saying within Twitter itself, there's a bit of a need of that now. Well, there is an interesting um, uh, origin for this story that uh, comes from a, uh, a Twitter user, Twitter handle that came up called Plagiarism is Bad mm -hmm. that was doing just this and garnered a number of viewers to many of these cases mm -hmm. uh, by doing screenshot after screenshot of of uh, occasions where this happened so yeah it's pretty easy to find if they're if they are just you know control c control v copy pasting right. a tweet then twitter search will surface that stuff very quickly the number of professional comedians policing each other is much more manageable than the millions and millions of people on twitter where it's really hard to say if there's a single norm on twitter that transcends the entire population of twitter you're talking right many, many countries, many, many different types of people, everyone from me to ISIS to who knows who else. And so, you know, it, it, it'd be much harder for Norm to adopt in that space. But I think there could be over time, like, you know, because there's been so many calls out for etiquette, like Twitter, what is Twitter etiquette? What is not Twitter etiquette? And there are things like subtweeting, like we have a, we have a vocabulary for bad behavior on Twitter. Yeah. You can see a similar thing adopting here. It's just when um, when Twitter decides to take a technological action to codify something. Uh, I mean, it's not, it sounds like they've done a lot of these things where yeah. ret retweets were once just this organic thing that people did, and now they're an actual, you hit a button and it copies the tweet into your timeline. Um, so it seems in this case, regardless of whether this is DMCA you know, or copyright protected, um, Twitter could just go in and say, okay, our community, this is the way it is. Yeah, I mean, Twitter has the legal right because of their terms of service 
to basically license out any tweets that are in that get brought to them, like that, that get brought on the platform, and they need that right for some of their features in order to actually post, you know, someone's tweet on everyone's timelines and everyone's mobile devices and computers and things like that. They need to have the right to copy and distribute the intellectual property of that tweet, you know, to the extent that it exists. As always, I want to thank you for coming in and illuminating some uh, really interesting and bizarre uh, tensions between the law and our norms and technology. Thank yeah. you, Andy. Well, sure. This illuminating tensions is kind of what I do. So my pleasure, Dan. <laughs> Andy Sellers is a Berkman Fellow and a staff member of the Harvard Law School's Cyber Law Clinic. You can find out more about Twitter and intellectual property, including a link to the Chilling Effects database where these DMCA takedown notices are being archived at today's show notes at cyber.law.harvard.edu. This Radio Berkman was produced by me with Elizabeth Gillis at the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. 